comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. And like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. The uh, Penobscot Bay watershed links a diverse upland geography and history with Maine's rich maritime culture and ecology, stretching from Mount Katahdin to the islands of Penobscot Bay like Islesboro, North Haven, and Vinyl Haven. And on April 11th, a network of over 15 organizations are hosting a conference at Point Lookout in Northport, and they hope to highlight these relationships and explore ways to ensure a sustainable future. And we're going to highlight that conference and give you a preview, and uh, we're happy to have some folks uh, who can help us with that. Chloe Chun is here in the studio with us, and she's um, part of the Belfast Bay, the leadership of the Belfast Bay Watershed Council. Welcome to you, Chloe. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your role there, and then we're going to go to Steve Miller out on Islesboro. Well, as a board member of the Belfast Bay Watershed Coalition, I was invited to join the steering committee to plan for the Penobscot Watershed Conference, and um, basically, I've just been helping brainstorm what the workshops would be and finding volunteers to help and inviting businesses to contribute funding, which we're still doing. <laughs> Great. And the, the Watershed Council um, is a, one of the, the sponsoring organizations, and, and that yes. group has been around for a long time helping people understand um, the smaller watershed of Belfast Bay. Yes, we've been around for about 15 years, and taking an active part locally in our watershed. Well, we're going to come back to you in just a few minutes to learn more about your involvement. But uh, let's go to Steve Miller. Welcome to you, Steve. You're with Islesboro Island Trust out on the island of Islesboro. That's right, Ron. Good morning. Good morning, and, and, and thanks so much for being with us. Um, you're one of the um, the folks who bridged the earlier set of conferences um, with this conference coming up on April 11th. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, those earlier conferences and, and what led to the desire to have a conference it, this year. Sure, I'll do that. Um, Ron, um, I think I might just first mention that Owlsboro Islands Trust was uh, formed in 1985, um, so we've been in the business of... Uh, 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 conservation uh, and advocacy and environmental education uh, for over 30 years now. But you're right, we were um, part of what became known as the uh, Penobscot Bay Network back in the 90s. And um, we're uh, very, you know, uh, pleased to be part of uh, three uh, 
pretty significant conferences during that time period. Um, the first one of those conferences actually was uh, held in 1993 wow. um, at the uh, Penobscot Marine Museum. The museum is one of the same uh, one of those organizations like Osborne Islands Trust that's been part of both the, the earlier efforts as well as the current one. Um, but uh, there was another uh, conference in 1994 or at the Maine Maritime Academy, and the last really you know uh, full full-size conference, if you uh, if you will, was in 2001, and that was held in Camden. And, uh, Steve, what were some of the issues that you were dealing with uh, in the 90s? What led to the desire to, to uh, think about um, Penobscot Bay and, and its watershed as, as a region? Well, sure. In, in some ways, you know, um, uh, uh, things change and some things don't seem to change. <laughs> um, but... Um, one of the, I think, chief questions that we were asking back in the 90s was about the state of the bay, the state of the region, really, uh, what kind of research had been done to determine things like water quality, um, land use impacts, air quality, um, uh, wildlife uh, stress, um, that kind of information. Where was it? Who, uh, you know, who was uh, undertaking that research? And how could that research or that information be used to further um, you know, uh, sustainable or, or environmentally appropriate economic development in the region. Um, one of the organizations involved back then um, was Eastern Maine Development Corporation, for example. So um, those were some of the issues. We really hoped the conferences would uh, provide a, a place for folks that care about the region to come together and network and talk to one another about, um, you know, hopes and dreams and, and worries and all of those kinds of things. Um, we also saw the conferences then as now, actually, as a uh, way to identify sources of information and expertise, a way to talk about gaps in that information, um, and then a way to talk about how to um, put all of that good information that is available um, into into work, into policy, into uh, decisions of, by governmental entities, both at the you know very local level, but also regional and state levels, that will uh, be good for people. Mm. And I recall um, uh, knowing that research, uh, scientific research, was part of that early um, set of conferences, kind of identifying some of the gaps that needed to be um, addressed. That's that's exactly right. In addition to the three conferences, the uh, the, the earlier activity um, sort of uh, sparked or was inspiration for um, many other kinds of activities, including some roundtables. And one of those roundtables brought together uh, scientists and researchers from academic uh, and and uh, nonprofit entities around the the region to talk about their work. Um, also at that at that uh, during that period, um, a book was written, um, uh, largely spearheaded by the Island Institute. Um, it was a book called Penobscot, the Forest, River, and Bay, um, and um, somewhat separate but ultimately incorporated into uh, that book as an appendix was a bibliography of Penobscot Bay scientific research. It was a, a uh, a review of all the research that had been done over the last 30, 40 years up until 
uh, that point in 1996. Mm. And um, so what led to um, a, a kind of a regeneration of the, the idea of conferences? Um, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll come back and ask about some of the changes that you've seen in the Penobscot Bay region. Well, sure. Um, you know, I think in, in some ways um, the, the current effort really mirrors what was uh, prompting that activity back in the 90s. Um, I know from a personal standpoint, um, one of the reasons for sort of a little bit of a gap between the last conference in 2001 and now um, involved other other demands, other commitments, other, other uh, places where our attention um, was focused, including... Um, attention being paid to threats to the environment here in Penobscot Bay. So um, there was a, you know, a span of about 15 years where really um, that kind of regional dialogue did not occur. Um, but uh, uh, last year we began to think that, geez, maybe it's time for a revival of that conversation. Uh, again, what the state of the Bay might be and what our people experiencing in the region was a big motivation for the current uh, en- endeavor for the current conference. Um, if we haven't really talked about it, or there really hasn't been a whole lot of information made available about those issues um, d- during that intervening 15 years, it seemed you know certainly more than time to do that. But another reason, and I think a big motivation, uh, revolves around the um, apparent uh, very successful Penobscot River restoration work. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've seen by the uh, uh, incredible investment of time and energy and, and uh, financial resources into uh, uh, cleaning the river up and making it available to, to, to fish species, sea-run fish species, who need to get to the upper reaches of the river in order to, uh, to spawn and so forth. Um, that that has been phenomenally successful. All indications are that the number of alewives and other fish species uh, returning has already increased. So that's a very exciting uh, success story. And um, we began wondering, well, what does that mean for the region um, in, in, in the longer range? So the, the uh, threats that you mentioned in the intervening years, what were some of the things that you were working on um, that you felt were threats to the, the health and quality of, of life in the region? Um, well, sure. Well, some of the threats actually are somewhat continued from earlier days. Um, there is a certain amount of uh, runoff or, or non-point source uh, uh, contributions to, to water quality that are ne- not necessarily very good um, for the uh, for the fish species, for shellfish, and so forth. Um, we've also um, had during the the intervening 15 years uh, proposals that we felt were were um, if not properly handled could be very uh, much a threat to those resources, uh, to fisheries, to lobstering, and so forth, like a proposed uh, LNG facility on Sears Island, a proposed LPG terminal over at Mac Point, um, and a a proposal to dredge nearly one million cubic yards of, of sediment uh, from uh, from from the entryway to to Searsport Harbor. In addition, um, the mercury runoff contamination of uh, of, of sediments and of, of um, birds and, and and fishery species in in the river and in the at the mouth of the river um, has come to the fore. Has become better known and, and better understood during that period. 
And um, you mentioned the Penobscot Bay, um, uh, Penobscot River restoration. Also, in that uh, intervening period, um, a major part of Sears Island was preserved. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, back uh, then, uh, Governor John Baldacci convened a group of, uh, um, you know, what are called stakeholders, a group of interested parties, to talk about the future of Sears Island. Um, this was following the. Um, uh, considerable public um, sort of grassroots concern about a possible LNG facility out there. Um, and um, while some people weren't, uh, you know, it, it, a consensus decision-making process always means that some people aren't 100% pleased. But, mm-hmm, sure. um, but nonetheless, uh, during the process, uh, about uh, roughly uh, two-thirds to three-quarters of the acreage on Sears Island is has been permanently protected by a conservation easement held by the third a third party, which in this case is Maine Coast Heritage Trust. That uh, portion, um, that very large portion of Sears Island, uh, will not see inappropriate development, um, but will see continued use by the public for uh, walking and for other kinds of um, recreational activities, and, and could in the future even uh, be home for uh, a, a modest kind of educational facility. Great. Well, Steve, I'm going to um, uh, let you go because I know that you're going to be on uh, my colleague Natalie Springle's uh, radio program uh, on the 25th, um, Coastal Conversations. So uh, listeners will have um, an opportunity to, to ask you questions at that time and, and learn more. So uh, thanks for being with us here on Talk of the Town, Steve. Thanks. One real quick yes, point, yes. Uh, Ron, if I could. Um, the conference is uh, scheduled for Saturday, April 9. Oh, did I get it wrong? I'm sorry. I think yes. maybe we were talking about April 11 at one point earlier in the uh, in the program, yep. but it's Saturday, April 9. Good, and I'll get Chloe to give some details on how people can um, uh, learn about uh, reg- registering for the conference. Thanks so much. Thank you, Steve. Bye now. Uh, that was Steve Miller um, of Islesboro Islands Trust and one of the originators of this uh, conference coming up on April 9th, not the 11th. Uh, <laughs> Chloe, uh, tell me a little bit about um, what you're seeing kind of coalesce around the, 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 the planning of this conference. Um, a lot of people are involved. There are a lot of organizations working, collaborating on this, this conference. Uh, among them, Islesboro Islands Trust that Steve was just speaking from, the Penobscot Nation, Maine Sea Grant, Island Institute, Penobscot East, Friends of Sears Island, Penobscot Marine Museum, Lower Penobscot Watershed Coalition, my organization, Belfast Bay Watershed Coalition, Natural Resources Council of Maine, Sierra Club of Maine, Maine Lake Society, the Nature Conservancy, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, and University of Maine Cooperative Extension. That's great. So just bringing all those people together is a feat in itself. Yeah, we've had call-ins as well as uh, meetings in person. Uh-huh. And and uh, I know the conference has a, a kind of set of outcomes or purposes. Uh, help us understand what you're hoping, um, you know, what the purposes are of this conference. Well, the purposes are uh, to improve communication and cooperation mm-hmm. among all these communities that are in this huge watershed, which, by the way, is one-third of the state of Maine, the biggest watershed in the state. Uh, to provide support and inspiration for those working to conserve and protect it, and uh, to explore current and potential efforts that advance a sustainable economy 
and high quality of life. You know, we're in a rapidly changing economy here, and so a lot of this conference is going to be given to what next, Mm. what's coming, Mm. how can we affect it? Now, most listeners have heard the term watershed and most probably um, understand it, but um, you're working on a a relatively smaller scale watershed, Belfast Bay, Uh, but what what is a watershed? (laughs) How do we define that? A watershed is the area of land and then out into its catchment uh, that the rain falls on and goes in a it's like a big bowl. Uh, the rim of the bowl would be the divide between my watershed and the next watershed. And I can deter- I can have a very small watershed, like the stream I live on. How much land does it drain? Or I can have a bigger context. It's sort of like nesting dolls. So my stream is within the Belfast Bay watershed, and that is within the Penobscot River watershed, and that's within... Everything the east Gulf of the of Mississippi. That's right. That's right. And so what are some of the influences on the quality of um, the, the watershed that you see even on your small stream? What's happening around the stream that causes you to be alert to some of the, the problems? Well, um, we are logging temperature every summer season, spring, summer, and fall on the small stream I live on, Westcott Stream, because uh, we... Belfast Bay Watershed likes to keep tabs on the temperature because, for one thing, it's good to have a baseline, but for one thing, very local, we have nine schools raising salmon eggs in aquariums in their school and putting them, releasing them into our stream where I live. So having temperature recordings right where those baby salmon are released is good to know. We are finding that... Uh, the, the summer temperatures are totally on the margin for salmon. Not so much for other fish, but salmon just need so much dissolved oxygen. And it takes cold water to hold oxygen. Mm. So um, what's the, the land use practices that are um, affecting that stream and that temperature have to do probably with development, forestry, farming, those kinds of things? All of those things, yes. Shade is so important for keeping a stream cool. Development sometimes takes away trees that shade. Uh, agriculture can do the same thing too. Um, and then, of course, agricultural runoff or just runoff from Mm -hmm. development of any sort, puts sediment in the water, which is darker than clear water, and that attracts sunlight and turns it to heat and heats up the water. Mm. So if you imagine um, your stream and then you multiply that, you said, uh, to a third of the state, there's a (laughs) lot of land uses that are impacting the quality of water and therefore the quality of of what lives in that water. Yes, Mm. yes, lots Mm. of impacts. And as you've um, seen this group of people come together and worked over the course of a year, um, what are some of the the, uh, surprises that you've kind of gotten from this wonderful collection of people? Any observations about that? Well, you're right about wonderful collection of people. I feel like I've gotten to know amazing environmental and historical and uh, economic figures in this state, especially in the Mid-Coast area. Um, just really people that are working very hard to restore our fisheries and restore our land and our watersheds and make things work for the natural world and us. Of course, we're part of the natural (laughs) world too, making things work for us. 
economically, socially, and naturally. Great. Well, you're listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about the upcoming Penobscot Bay Watershed Conference on April 9th um, at the, uh, um, in, in Northport. And um, we've got Chloe Chun with us in the studio. She's with the Belfast Bay Watershed Council. And now we're going to talk with Robin Alden by phone. Robin is the head of Penobscot East Fisheries Research Center. Welcome to you, Robin. Hi, thank you. Um, I understand you're, you're uh, presenting at the conference and your, your organization is one of the sponsors. Tell us a little bit about um, Penobscot East and then the research that you'll be sharing at the conference. Okay. Um, so, uh, First of all, the organization, we're, um, our mission is to secure a fu- sustainable future for fishing communities and fisheries in eastern Maine and beyond. And we, everything we do is the foundation for collaborative co-management of fisheries. Um, we think the state of Maine is an incredible place to pilot something for the whole world uh, because we have a lot of community-scale fishermen. We have fishing really matters in the communities clearly around the bay and and uh, elsewhere on the main coast. And so that's our work. Um, at the conference, uh, I actually will be talking about food uh, policy and how uh, what happens ashore really affects the ability of our smaller scale fisheries to uh, sustain themselves. Um, and Ted Ames, who is a founding board member of uh, Penobscot East, will be talking about his um, connect his work documenting historically uh, what appears to be a real connection between river fish and um, the iconic cod and other uh, ground fish such as haddock and pollock and so forth. And I know that part of your research has to do with something you call a sentinel survey. And perhaps um, you could share with listeners um, some of what you're seeing in Penobscot Bay as a result of that survey. That's great. Um, so we are we for the last six years um, we have been running a collaborative uh, survey hook survey looking for groundfish in the area from Penobscot Bay to the Canadian border, and um, and so we started this because this area is very poorly sampled by federal trawl surveys because it's so rocky that it's very hard for their large uh, uh, mobile trawl uh, survey to operate in this area. And there also wasn't any fishing because groundfish fishing collapsed in the area in the uh, mid-90s, and there literally has been nobody fishing for uh, groundfish since then. So we have a six-year time series now. Um, And the exciting part is that in the inshore area, so that's uh, shallower than 50 meters, we are seeing an increase in both cod abundance and cod biomass. What that means is we're catching more cod and they're larger. Um, At the same time, there's been a lot of research about cod feeding behavior and how they, what's called hyperaggregate. Basically, they're just like fishermen. They they descend (laughs) upon um, prey and, and, and feed on huge abundance of prey. We are very hopeful that the um, amazing restoration of the Penobscot River is going to mean that we have far more juvenile alewives in the Penobscot estuary in the future. And so 
we are currently trying to expand this survey so that we can fish on historical feeding and spawning areas in the estuary and try to document what we hope is going to be a real restoration. Oh, that's great. And and for listeners who might not be um, as well-versed as, as you or I, um, tell us a little bit about why you imagine the, the restoration of the Penobscot River and the removal of dams might lead to an increase in prey species for sp- fish like cod. So the prey species we're talking about are are what what's called uh, sea run fish or or um, or anadromous fish, and they their life cycle is the adults. So the adult alewives, or river herring, is another term, um, go upriver in the spring. They spawn in the lakes. The adults go go out the river, and um, and then late in the fall, after feeding on plankton in the summer, the juveniles, little tiny alewives, come out. And they stay in the estuary for the whole next year, whereas the their adults go south in the winter to feed on plankton in the um, in the uh, Massachusetts area. So we think this increase in prey. So the reason that that's that we think there'll be an increase in alewives is that um, the dam removals have have opened up passage to lakes. Um, and to a stunning degree, and uh, Steve probably has the numbers, but the um, uh, they've been stocking alewives in advance of this river opening, and and there's already I think been about a hundredfold increase in in the uh, alewives in the river system. So this is one of the things that I assume conference goers um, on April 9th um, will be excited to to learn about. Good. Good. Robin Alden, thanks so much for being with us in your busy schedule. Well, I'm really pleased to be able to join you. Okay. Robin Alden from Penobscot East uh, Research Center in Stonington. I hope everyone comes to the conference. Okay. Great. (laughs) Bye-bye. Great. Um, Chloe, you did something pretty amazing. Um, You um, and I think your husband canoed the Penobscot um, from Medway um, all the way down, and you were able to see the river as it might have might have kind of been before dams. Yes, we were in this in August of 2013, which was a month after the VZ Dam was begun removal. Uh, we paddled down from Medway and. Um, yeah, to see the Great Works dam site with no dam, and uh, you and it, you could really understand why a dam had been built there because it had a lot of shallow rapids and big white water for us in our loaded canoe. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And then I think we must have been the first people through the VZ Dam because it was it only had a crack in it, and uh, the water had gone down. And we had to kind of pull our canoe around on wet sand through a little opening over to the the left side, river left side, to get through. But um, that was so wonderful. And, of course, now the VZ Dam, you can't even tell it was there. It just looks so natural now. Mm -hmm. And what were were some of the other surprises that you you gained? That's a long stretch of of river, and then you got to the the, the tidewater. Yes. um, Well, a lot of the surprises were... Eagles every day, lots of eagles. Sometimes it was eagles every hour. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband trolled a line and caught bass, which we ate for dinner, and they were delicious. Uh, we 
met some nice people occasionally. And then when we got, so, so the upper part from Medway down through the Indian Islands to uh, Indian Island mm-hmm. was uh, pretty well lined with silver maple floodplains, nice and flat. And then when you got below Bangor, you were in a, a steep gorge. And we had seen the steep gorge a summer earlier when some people from our watershed group had volunteered to help a University of Maine PhD student do sturgeon research. We, he needed some extra pairs of hands holding these big 55-pound whoppers, you know, while he could tag them and measure them and all. So I got to go a number of times um, on his boat, and, uh, and my husband came a couple of times, and we just noticed how wild the Penobscot River is with these steep, steep gorges and eagles everywhere. And, you know, it was just a real revelation to us. So Mm. we said, we got to canoe this. Oh, great. (laughs) Well, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. You're listening to um, Chloe Chun here, um, WERU's Talk of the Towns, and uh, I'm your host, Ron Beard. We're talking about the Penobscot Bay Watershed Conference coming up on April 9th. And now we're joined by Esperanza Stancioff, my colleague from University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Welcome to you, Esperanza. Thank you, Ron. Good morning. And uh, tell us a little bit about um, your role in this uh, planning process and and what you're hoping to to see happen at the conference. Yes. um, Well, it's been a really exciting process, um, as Chloe and Steve have um, have mentioned, you know, we there are a lot of us that have been coming together to try to make this the very most uh, comprehensive and, and best conference it can be, which I think we're uh, managing to do. Um, it's uh, it's just a I'm I'm involved in um, the whole overall planning with the whole overall planning uh, steering committee as well as um, looking at and planning for a couple of tracks. One of them, the environmental indicators uh, of health in the lakes, the river, and the bay, and then um, also uh, maritime uh, heritage and fisheries, which also has three sessions in that track as well. And um, putting together, you know, perspectives offered by the diversity of these presenters and participants, I think, is going to really help us um, to connect with our feelings and our knowledge, and hopefully, you know, to look at ways that um, we can collaborate and begin to envision a sustainable future. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's a remarkable array of topics and interweaving of both um, historical relevance, current conditions, and a variety of aspects that, that, that span from ecology to economy and everything in between and thinking about future endeavors in the Penobscot watershed. Let's um, get a little bit more background on the indicators. When you talk about indicators, uh, and Chloe has mentioned some of the the um, uh, uh, indicators that she and her watershed group are tracking, what's the, what's the array of indicators that you might be um, hoping to learn more about? Right. Well, um, for example, in the lakes, um, in the in the area of lakes and ponds, looking at, um, you know, the fish and wildlife resources in our lakes and ponds, the the state of lakes, you know, so from, you know, the Maine Department of Environmental Protection and the Maine Volunteer Lake Monitoring Program as examples of presenters, um, you know, Maine Audubon, the Penobscot Nation, climate change impacts on lake resources. um, And then, you know, in the the rivers, looking at... um, uh, 
restoration activities. Um, uh, there's also a, another one on mitigating coping with climate change, which has to do with uh, different aspects of the of the um, of the of the excuse me the watershed, and um, looking at the river and tributaries, uh, looking at the status of river flows, fish and bird populations, trends in water quality, invasive species, barriers to fish migration, that kind of thing. So these um, are all things that, that um, regular humans can observe. In other yes. words, you don't necessarily need to be a, a scientist, although having a scientific kind of rigor to collecting data is important. And you've been involved in, in that kind of citizen science for all of your career. Yes. 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> and and what what do you suppose, um, and I'll ask Chloe the same question in a minute, what what motivates a citizen scientist to, to uh, get up, um, put on their gear, and go out and collect some information? What, what do you suppose that is? Um, yeah, I think it's um, a, a sort of a yearning for understanding um, our, um, our environment uh, in a meaningful way, uh, to be able to... Um, participate with something that has uh, value, so providing data to researchers and resource managers, and also for the social aspect of being uh, out in the field and being with like-minded people. So mm. there are many reasons that people uh, volunteer and become citizen scientists, but it's our experience with both our Signs of the Seasons, our you know latest going into our sixth season, looking at... Um, the life cycle, uh, the timing of life cycle events of plants and animals to, um, you know, water quality. Uh, it just provides great data that uh, scientists, researchers, and resource managers are unable to collect. Mm. So scientists can then use that data. They can go online and see what citizens have, have kind of collected, and they can use that as part of their um, their their research. Absolutely. Yeah. Chloe, I'll ask Esperanza if you'll stay with us for sure. a few minutes on the line. Chloe, what, what um, excites you about citizen science? Well, I think uh, maybe in the beginning it was the desire to learn more, thinking, well, if I sign up for this, I'm going to learn from other experts and uh, not just other, I mean experts. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then paying attention um, is sort of conducive to falling in love and you fall in love with different species and the whole environment and it you feel the change in your own self and and then of course I'm motivated to want to help in some way so all those things kind of keep each other going um I can remember first getting involved in the Christmas bird count, which now has gone on for 115 years, nonstop, even during world wars. And, um, and it's grown to be worldwide as well. And it's, it's great to be part of a large movement like that and to, and to look at the results. The results of 115 years. And I'm wondering, too, for both of you, um, as we um, think about climate change, sometimes it feels um, so huge um, that we can't do much. And yet somehow um, this kind of effort to go into our backyards or the, the watersheds that we live in and, and try to discover things seems to empower people. Is that, uh, Esperanza, is that how you see it, too? Yes, I think so. I think as uh, as they increase their understanding and they can talk intelligently to their friends, neighbors, uh, family, um, it it is empowering. And and also to see um, how those data are used and how meaningful that becomes in trying to understand 
um, this uh, changing climate that we have. So, mm. yes. So, Esperanza, I'll let you go with one last question. Sure. You you were part of the earlier round of conferences. Yes. Um, uh, what's the bridge that you would make between the earlier round and, and the, um, this conference coming up? Um, well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's certainly an important gathering for so many reasons and so way overdue. Um, you know, when we were all a part of the Penobscot Bay Network, um, it was, we certainly considered the watershed, but not, this is different because we're considering the whole watershed and the importance of connecting, you know, lakes, rivers, and bay with the people who live, play, and work here. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, we'll all be saying that we live in Penobscot watershed, maybe, rather than Bangor, or Swanville, or Vinyl Haven, or Belfast. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's different in the way that it's extremely inclusive. And, um, and I think that people will come out with, um, you know, looking at, uh, at uh, working together, hopefully, and collaborating in, in meaningful ways. Great. Thanks so much for being with us uh, this morning, Esperanza. Esperanza Stancioff with University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant, part of the planning committee. Here in the studio with me is, is Chloe Chun. But we're going to go to the phone lines now, um, 1-866-625-9378. If you'd like to participate in our conversation about the Penobscot Bay watershed. And we have Jody from Harborside on the line with us. Go ahead with your question or comment, Jody. Yes, um, two things. Um, when Steve Miller was talking before about reasons for the uh, um, Sears Island being protected, he mentioned an LNG threat. Um, on on Sears Island, but it was actually the threat of a container port, uh-huh. which I assume is not we ever really dead. Um, so that that is something that we need to keep in mind for the future. Despite uh, two thirds of the island being preserved, um, the um, DOT can can move forward on the container port whenever it chooses to. Um, and I wanted to say that a week after this conference on the 9th, there is a national conference sponsored by Beyond Pesticides at USM in Portland. Um, it's actually Friday late in the day, the 15th and Saturday all day, with keynotes from national figures on uh, pesticide uh, abuse and the harm that it does to our water as well as the the air and uh, public health in general. Uh, one workshop is completely devoted to protecting the watershed with people from Friends of Casco Bay and Jeff Barnum, the uh, riverkeeper for the Piscataquis area. Um, and there will be forums also on um, pesticide problems from cosmetic use as well as um, agricultural use, all of which ends up in the water. And I hope very much that WERU will allow us to come on the air before the 16th of April, uh, the 15th and 16th, to talk about that conference. Thanks so much for your call this morning, and we'll hear from other listeners as well. If they call, one 866 
625-9378 or locally 469-0500. What are some of the changes that you've seen in the last 20 years on the Penobscot um, Bay, the river, the watershed as a whole in your communities? What are some of those changes? What are some of the threats that you might be uh, feeling like um, our last caller uh, mentioning uh, the, the, the chemicals that uh, find their way into our water system? What are your concerns and what are your hopes? What do you see for this region um, as we as we go forward. Uh, so, Chloe, back to you. Um, what are some of your hopes? Um, what uh, what do you and, and your colleagues in, in the Belfast Bay Watershed Group, what do, what do you hope will come from your work? Well, one thing we hope is that it won't just be a conference that ends at 4 o'clock and we all go home. Uh, we, we do get to go home that day, but Sea <laughs> um, Grant is going to provide note-taking from every breakout section, all the workshops, and um, we're going to put anything else on, on their website as well, you know, PowerPoints and any any information that's brought to the conference will be there. And also we hope to create some working, ses- some working groups that will continue to work on this uh, informally together, smaller groups um, that will embrace a a question or Mm, a problem that arises in one of the individual workshops and deal with it. Great. 1-866-625-9378. We'll put you in contact with us here at Talk of the Towns. And now we're going to Doug in Bangor. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your comment or your question. Hello. Uh, Well, I have uh, one comment. Uh, I've been living in this area for... uh, Oh, 40 years. Uh, I've seen so, some streams like Kenduskig, uh beginning to get a lot more sudsy water around uh, rough water. And uh, I, I was concerned about that. I'm assuming it's from, you know, uh, people using washing machines and stuff and all that stuff getting into the water. Uh, so I was wondering if anybody had any comment about that. And then the other thing is, uh, I live uh, down in the Winterport area, and there's a big uh, area that's uh, a tidal, and it's mud flats when the tide is out. And uh, there's absolutely very l- little growing in there. And I don't know whether uh, at one point back before th- we were making such an impact on the system, uh, if there were clams or anything that grows in that it lives in that kind of tidal water mud flat so i'm just curious about curious about that great well we're not sure we've got answers to your questions but certainly if you attend the conference you would probably find some some answers there Um, but thanks so much uh doug for your questions um, uh, any any response? Uh, you probably see clam flats um, um, that aren't productive in the Belfast area. You probably see suds in the water. Maybe in your canoe trip, you saw that. Any sense of what what causes those those kinds of things? Well, Doug spoke of seeing an increase in suds, which I can't account for. I know there's always some amount of suds which is caused by the sugars of photosynthesis. The product of photosynthesis by algal bodies in the water. Um, sugars create chains, you know, polysaccharides, and they they will create um, suds. But as far as accounting for um, 
an increase. I really wouldn't hazard a guess. Right. Let's uh, let's go to Beattie in Camden. Go ahead with your question or, or comment. Um, yeah, just before I make it, our uh, uh, Sherman's Cove had mussels in it until it got too polluted, and this was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decided it was clean enough, and they, the selectmen went out and tried to dig and didn't find a thing. And I think they were told that because nobody had been digging that there that, that there wasn't enough air in the flat, but I, that was a long time ago, and I don't know if it was true, and I don't know the status. But um, I just wanted to say, I, 1984, I published a, what was called a natu- Natural History of Camden Rockport, but it's really mid-coast, and it has a big section on offshore and who was living there, what was being fished. And I'm in the process of trying to um, write an update for it, and put it online and boy i think the fish part and the shore part is probably really out of date i need people somebody to talk to about what's out there great well that's really all important work um to have uh, kind of baseline that uh, bd has mentioned and chloe a comment bd i love your book and i'm so glad to hear you're going to be updating it and maybe at the conference you'll make some connections with people that can help you update it. Great. Well, if I don't get there, I will want to ask people at the conference <laughs> Great. who to talk to. But Thanks I, so much. Yeah. Thank you, Beattie. And we, we're going now to Lindy in Southwest Harbor. Go ahead, uh, please. Oh, uh, hi. So I'm just tuning into the show. Thank you so much for having this. Uh, and um, when, I, when I get off, I'd like the woman to give the date to this conference because I, I, I missed the, the dates. I certainly would like to go. And I just want to say um, they're always going after Sears Island. Poor Sears Island. They just won't be satisfied until they develop the hell out of that. I worked with Jimmy Freeman, Nancy Allen, Nancy Yoden to uh, stop the pollution of Penobscot Bay from Ultrachem. <laughs> I think we succeeded, but there's still toxins going into Penobscot Bay. Um, my <clears throat> Miss Nancy Allen and all those people. So I'm glad to hear that. You know, there's <clears throat> more people coming up behind them. I'm sure Nancy Allen is listening right now. She did a tremendous amount of work as well as Jimmy Freeman. Anyway, right. <laughs> thank you for having this program so much. I'm baffled by why our politicians, like in Flint, don't understand the importance of clean water, clean air. And thank you so much, WERU, and this woman who's speaking. And uh, okay. if, if you give me the date for that. Yes, that I'll, I'll, I'll list the, the conference is on April 9th um, in Northport at the Point Lookout facility. And you can register by going to the Sea Grant website, University C-Grant? of Sea Grant. Yes, Sea Grant. And so if you, I think if you just Google um, Penobscot Bay Watershed. <laughs> conference 2016 you'll find you'll find some information so thanks very much for your call and thanks for your work against holter chem's mess (laughs) and i think we have one more call that we'll be able to fit in we have margaret from orland welcome to talk of the towns margaret and um please give us your um uh, question or your comment margaret are you there i am oh great yes we can hear you now okay I'm in Orland next to the dam, uh-huh. and uh, that's a, a, an issue here now. Uh, we have to vote on whether to retain it or not, and that's coming up in June. Um, but I wanted to comment about uh, why there are no clams, and I would say also no mussels. Yes. Uh, in these mud flats, there's one behind my house that's fed by the uh, Orland River. And um, I was told by some uh, 
marine biologists that lived in the neighborhood used to teach down at the main mar uh, maritime uh, that the reason was because there was too much brackish water. Uh, so that's another um, theory there about th that issue came up in some callers. Great. And, and in, in Orland, um, you're working on alewives, is that right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to accomplish. Well, <laughs> I'm supposed to be neutral on this. I'm on the dam committee. And uh -huh. That's all we're right. Trying to, we've done, with a lot of expert help, we've done a, a big investigation of the, of the river and what would happen if the dam was taken out. Uh, a lot of people on the river want to keep it in because they don't want to have mudflats in their right. front yard. So, you know, that's an issue. Um, but uh, there's some of us who are concerned about the fisheries and the larger context, the issues that were brought up in, and will be t addressed in the conference. And um, so, yeah, alewives come up here. There's uh, much less than there were, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago when they uh, were harvesting so many, they were able to build our local elementary school with the proceeds wow. of the fishery, and now it's quite modest. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, we're we're going to uh, try to educate the community on all aspects of what it would happen if we did take out the dam and if we don't. And, um, so, you know, I'm hoping that the alewives will have an opportunity to get up the river. We're part of the watershed that's being addressed in that conference, so I think I'll have to go. <laughs> Great. Margaret, thanks so much for your call this morning. You're welcome. This is uh, your tune to Talk of the Towns, and uh, we're, we're out of time for, uh, for further phone calls, but I, um, I'll get Chloe to list the conference uh, watershed um, uh, website um, one more time, um, and then we're going to get another colleague on the phone. Well, the Sea Grant website goes like this, seagrant.main.edu slash Penobscot hyphen watershed hyphen conference. I can also give you a phone number. It's a <laughs> lot easier to write down. 734-6907. Great. Thanks, Chloe. And um, now we have uh, um, my colleague um, and former co-hosts sometimes on, on Talk of the Towns. And Natalie Springle is the host of Coastal Conversations. And we've kind of arranged a two-parter because, Natalie, you're going to be featuring other speakers from the Penobscot Watershed Conference at, on your show on the 25th. Tell us a little bit about um, what you're hoping to, to have happen on the 25th. I am. Thanks. Hi, Ron, and hi, Chloe. Hi. Um, yeah, so we're going to do sort of part two on the March 25th Coastal Conversations show from 10 to 11 a.m. Um, we'll also be talking, following up on the Penobscot Watershed Conference um, with uh, one of the same guests, uh, Steve Miller from Islesboro Island Trust, who you had on earlier. Um, he'll be in the studio with us going into more detail um, on sort of the history of the efforts over the course of the last 15, 25 years or so um, around the Penobscot Bay. We'll also have John Banks in the studio. He's the director of natural resources for the Penobscot Nation. Um, and we're excited to have him and sort of hear about um, the Penobscot um, Nation's perspective on the watershed, um, both in terms of some of the recent news um, and also sort of bigger picture and historical perspectives that they have on the Penobscot watershed and all the w good work that they've been up to. 
Um, and then we'll have Catherine Schmidt, um, who recently published a book about salmon um, in the Penobscot watershed, The President's Salmon, um, which has to do with uh, sort of everything related to the salmon in the watershed. Um, and all, and is, the story is built around the um, long tradition um, that went on for a, a bunch of decades of um, the President of the United States receiving as a gift a salmon from the Penobscot River. Mm. That sounds like a great show. Natalie, I'm going to ask you a question and I'll ask Chloe the same question because both of you have had kind of um, an experience that not too many people have had. Uh, Chloe described canoeing from Medway um, all the way down um, into to Belfast, I think. And um, back in your um, earlier uh, career, you kayaked um, the whole Gulf of Maine. And you must have um, encountered Penobscot Bay in that um, kayak trip because you went from Massachusetts to Nova Scotia. Um, what was special about Penobscot Bay that you recall from, from that paddle, and, and what did you learn in that time? Um, yeah, we did. We, um, we did cross Penobscot Bay and spent several days in the bay itself, um, including a day where we stopped on Warren Island, which is a state park, and um, gathered with about, I would say, 50 people who... Um, joined us for a weekend in Penobscot Bay to sort of celebrate the Gulf of Maine and specifically Penobscot Bay. And I think that as um, probably like Chloe on her long journey, when you are on a long journey like that, you develop an appreciation for the place that you're traveling through that you just don't get any other way. Um, just the experience of waking up every morning in a tent and moving to a different place within the same watershed, you sort of really start noticing things and you start mentally slowing down and seeing more of everything that's going around. So from a sort of an environmental experience, it's pretty incredible. The bay is pretty incredible. But the other thing that we really noticed about Penobscot Bay and sort of the larger mid-coast region um, was this incredible cross-section between, you know, you feel like you're in a wild area and you see incredible wildlife, but you're also crossing fishermen on the water and you're really interacting with people who are making their living on the water um, in this unique way. The Penobscot Bay really sort of embodies the cross-section of, um, you know, a, a Fortunately, fairly still healthy environment and increasingly healthy thanks to so many of the efforts over the last couple of decades, um, as well as people making a living in that region. So it was a really exciting place to be traveling through. Natalie, thanks so much for being with us, and, and I look forward to hearing your show on the 25th Coastal Conversations, uh, March 25th from 10 to 11. Thanks for being Thanks, with Ron. us. Okay. Uh, Natalie Springle, who is the host of that program and is also with the Maine Sea Grant program, which is one of the, kind of the, one of the sponsors. And, and uh, you can go to Maine Sea Grant and, and uh, register for this conference that's happening on um, Penobscot Bay Watershed on April 9th. Chloe, um, what, what do you find special about Penobscot Bay? You kind of live in the watershed, but you know the bay. Um, what do you find special about it? Whoa. Well, I'll just tell you one little contrasting thing. When I moved to Maine in 1974, there were, I'm going to say no eagles in my life. Uh, there were, I think, noted 50 pairs of eagles along the whole coast of Maine. And due to the efforts of Charles Todd and a whole lot of people getting rid of DDT and, you know, making sure development was appropriate, we're now eagleified. <laughs> and so that's one exciting thing I've noticed. The same thing with fish um, in, well, not 
not all kinds of fish, but... Um, the Stur- sturgeon. Tell me about, st- you know, holding a sturgeon. <laughs> I've never done that. Yeah, holding a 55-pound sturgeon all by myself just long enough for the camera to flick because <laughs> I knew that if it whopped, I was going in the water. Um, that was really exciting. But, yes, um, there was a, a transponder on the footbridge in Belfast Bay, and while it was operating, we had four sturgeon coming in and out of the Pasagasawakeg River, which is what forms... Belfast Harbor. Um, that's gone now, so we don't know anymore. But this PhD student who I helped, um, I went to his defense and he said, yes, uh, sturgeon seem to be feeding in the Penobscot and reproducing in the Kennebec. They go back and forth, but we've got the good food. <laughs> that's great. So uh, I, again, there's a sign of both concern about the future of the watershed, but also a kind of hopefulness because of the Penobscot Bay restoration and other things. Yes. Oh, yeah, that restoration project. Great. great. Well, thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns this morning. Uh, Chloe Chun from the Belfast Bay Watershed Coalition, or Council, rather. One more thing, very briefly. Just one more thing. There is a pre-conference event the night before on April 8th at 6.30 p.m. at Point Lookout. Island Institute is showing a wonderful film, The Great Bear Sea, about First Nations tribes in Canada uh, help and the Canadian government improving their oceans. Great, thanks. We've come to that time when I want to remind folks that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks to our guest this morning, Steve Miller of Islesboro Islands Trust. Chloe Chun, Belfast Bay Watershed Council, was here in the studio. Robin Alden of Penobscot East. Um, in Stonington, Esperanza Stancioff, my colleague with Cooperative Extension, and Natalie Springle, who is with University of Maine Sea Grant Program and host of Coastal Conversations. Thanks to those who listened and called in with your questions and experience. Thanks to our wonderful underwriters. Thanks to our supporters and listeners. And thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from New